Well, our sermon text for this morning, as I already uh, mentioned, comes from 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15. I'd ask you to rise again for the hearing of God's word if you're able. And we'll read from 2 Kings in Jesus' name. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? That this man sends word to me to cure this man of, lep- of his leprosy. Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house, and Elisha sent, him, sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away in a rage, but his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? He has actually said to you, Wash and be clean. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, And he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord God, your word is truth. As we take a look at this Old Testament account of the cleansing of Naaman, I pray that you would show us our own sinfulness, bring us to repentance, Lord, and point us to the finished work of Christ for us. Pray these things in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, there are a couple of times every year in the lectionary that the theme of leprosy shows up. I don't know about you guys, but when I was a little kid, this story about Naaman and his cleansing was one that really, really confused me. Because when you hear about the people of Israel and how they were supposed to deal with leprosy, it makes this story not even really seem possible. You see, if you were a Jew and you got leprosy, 
you were considered ceremonially unclean. So you couldn't go into the temple, you couldn't worship God, you couldn't bring your sacrifices. And what's more, you had to completely remove yourself from society. You couldn't remain in your home. You couldn't remain with your family. You had to leave the city walls and only come near other lepers. And when you saw people coming, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that no one would come near you. I always assumed that this great separation happened because leprosy was the most contagious disease that's ever existed, sort of like Omicron on steroids or something. So I couldn't imagine how it would be possible that you could have a person with leprosy who is still a part of society, and not only that, a person who is respected and had an important position. But here in 2 Kings chapter 5, that's exactly what we hear about. Naaman had leprosy. But he was also a general in the Syrian army. He was a man that was respected by his king and revered by the people. The people of Israel didn't have to separate from society when they got leprosy because it was so contagious. But instead, they had to separate from society because a person who contracted true leprosy was, was a walking dead person. They were the living embodiment of what sin had done to us spiritually. You see, leprosy would slowly destroy the bodies of those that had it. It would disfigure them, and eventually it would take their lives. There was no treatments that would help. There was no cure. There was no hope other than divine intervention if you got leprosy in Old Testament times. So for Naaman to hear that there was a chance, that there was perhaps someone who could not just help him and slow the disease down, but, but actually cure him, for him to hear that, it would have been unbelievable. For him, there were, there were no options because there were no medical treatments. And I'm sure a man like Naaman, with all the resources he had, being second in command, he would have already gone out to every person that claimed to have any sort of cure or any sort of treatment, but he hadn't found healing yet. So Naaman hears about this cure in a very unexpected way. The Syrian armies often would raid northern Israel, and at times they'd carry away captives. And and one of those Jewish captives, a, a slave girl, ended up in the service of Naaman's wife. And even though she is a slave, she wants the best for her master's husband. So she suggests that he travel to Samaria, the northern kingdom, and he find the prophet Elisha, who might actually be able to do something. So Naaman takes this and goes to the king of Syria, whom he serves, and he tells him about this girl and everything that she said. And and the king encourages Naaman to go and find his healing in the northern kingdom. And even sends him away with a very generous gift. I did the math earlier this week. And what it adds up to, it was about $4.6 million in gold and silver that he sent with him, which makes the 10 articles of clothing seem a little bit superfluous at the end. But that was a a very respected gift in, in those days. It would have been something that was treasured. Along with these riches, the king of Syria also sends a letter from himself to the king of Israel asking for Naaman's cleansing. When the king of Israel receives this letter, he doesn't respond like I would if somebody handed me a check of $4.6 million. 
I think I would have responded in, in happiness and joy, but the king of Israel, he tears his clothes and he begins to mourn. I guess maybe if I was in his shoes and received that gift, I would have responded in the same way. Because conflict between Israel and Syria was, was very common. And they were in a time of peace that would be short-lived. And then the king receives this letter from the Syrian king, which would have been enough to cause anxiety just getting the letter in itself. But what the king requests is, is impossible. In exchange for this large amount of money, I would like you to cure an uncurable disease. So for the king of Israel, this would have been a bit terrifying. He said, heal Naaman, my trusted general, of something nobody can cure. So what would you do in that situation? There was no way to cure. And so the king of Israel begins to assume that this was really just a trick. Since the healing couldn't come, it would be reason for the Syrians to come in and attack again and start the war all over. When the prophet Elisha hears about what the king has done and tearing his clothes and mourning, he responds by saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman gets the invite to travel down and visit the Lord's prophet. We have to bear in mind and remember that, that Naaman was a man who was accustomed to giving orders. He was accustomed to having his orders obeyed. He was the kind of guy where if he said jump, you'd ask how high. He was used to everybody but the king bowing down before him and showing him respect and doing what they were told. So now he's traveled many miles from his homeland. He goes before the king and then is sent down to a prophet, the one man that claims that he can bring healing. And when he gets there, Elisha, God's prophet, can't even be bothered to answer the door. Instead, he sends a random servant, just a random guy to to go and talk to this great general and deliver his message. And the message, go take a bath. Go wash seven times in a dirty river. That was what he was told to do. I can't even imagine uh, being in Naaman's shoes, this great and powerful and mighty general, a man feared and respected by everyone. And instead of being treated with the respect and honor that he had expected and probably deserved, he hears, go take a bath in a muddy river, not even from the prophet of the Lord, but just from a random guy, because the Lord's prophet couldn't be bothered. So his response, once you put it in perspective, makes sense. Naaman turns away in a, in a rage, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out and stand before me and call upon the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the place and to cure the leper. And then he mentions two rivers in Damascus, saying, Aren't these better rivers than anything in Israel? Couldn't I be washed and clean there? The prophet of God didn't even show up to do any magic spells and cleanse Naaman like he had expected. All he got was a servant saying, go bathe in a muddy river. Those rivers that were mentioned in Damascus were actually much cleaner running rivers than the Jordan. And so if this was about just a physical washing, the Abana and the Farpar would have been better choices for Naaman. But this command from Elisha, really this command from God, wasn't about physical washing alone. It was God telling Naaman to go and to do something. 
And when God tells us to go and do something, we go and, and do what he says. We don't try to fix God's plans. We don't try to question his choices. So thankfully, Naaman had a servant who gave him some uncommon advice. The servant said, my father, didn't the prophet promise that if you washed, you would be clean? Basically, what he says is, what's, what's it going to hurt? If you go and wash in the river and nothing happens, you're right where you were before. But, but God promised through the prophet you would be clean. So if you wash and you are cleansed, then you have everything you had asked for. And so Naaman goes, and he washes, and as he does, he is immediately cleansed, and he is healed. And Naaman's response to this is one of faith. He says, behold, I now know that there is no God in all the earth but the God of Israel. At his cleansing, which was impossible with anyone other than the one true God, Naaman comes to faith, and he believes. Before he leaves Israel, he actually takes dirt with him. So that when he's forced to bow and worship in Syria, he'll be bowing on Jewish soil and praying to the one true God instead of the false gods of his land. You see, leprosy was this physical picture of a spiritual reality. Scripture teaches that after the fall, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All of us have turned aside. Together we have become worthless. In Romans it says, none of us does good, not even one. That our throats are like open graves. That we use our tongues to deceive. That the venom of asps is on our lips. That our mouths are full of curses and bitterness. That our feet are swift to shed blood that in our paths are ruin and misery, and that we don't know the way of peace. It also tells us that there is no fear of God in our eyes. You see, after the fall, we are sinful and unclean. After the fall, we are truly walking dead men and women, spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins and separated from God by our sins, but still alive in our bodies. You see, Naaman and all Lepers were, were a picture of that. And, and when Naaman goes and he washes in the Jordan River, that same river that John the Baptist would baptize Jesus in, he is completely cleansed. You see, this is a picture of what God offers to each and every one of us through word and sacrament. He offers to completely cleanse us of our sin, not to mostly wash it away, not to kind of make us clean, but to wash us entirely to forget our sin, to separate it from us as far as the east is from the west. And God can do that because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Now, Naaman didn't think the Jordan River was anything special, and really it, it wasn't. But because of the word and, and promise of God delivered through the prophet Elisha, washing in that river became a cleansing flood for Naaman. In the same way, word and sacrament, they might not seem like much. We've got an old book that was written so many years ago, a book that our culture hates. It sees as backward and offensive and sexist and bigoted. We've got some water that doesn't seem any different from any other water. And we have a small piece of bread and a tiny glass of wine. 
but because of the promise of God that the gospel is God's power unto salvation. And because of the promise of God that at baptism we're not watching dirt from the flesh, but instead sin. And because of the promise of God that at the table we truly receive the body and blood of our crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ in, with, and under the bread and the wine. Simply because of God's promises connected with those things, word and sacrament become for us a life-giving flood of God's grace poured out for the forgiveness of our sins and salvation. It is by grace and through faith that God cleanses us, not of something so small as leprosy as he did in the case of Naaman, but instead he cleanses our sin. He forgives us entirely and clothes us with the perfect and sinless life that Christ lived in our place. So trust in those promises of God and rest in that forgiveness won for you by Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Old Testament account of the cleansing of Naaman, of leprosy. Lord, you did what was impossible with man and only is possible with you. And the same is true of our forgiveness. There's not enough good things that we could do or enough sin that we could avoid or enough acts of mercy that would ever make us righteous before you. And so you sent your son to put on the same flesh we have to face every temptation we flesh face, but to do it all perfectly and without sin. He lived that life in our place because we couldn't do it. And then he went to the cross bearing our sin and paying the price for all of it that we might be redeemed. Our redemption is impossible with us, but with you it is possible and we thank you for it. As we look back at this picture of, of Naaman being cleansed, remind us of the own, our own cleansing that you have offered through word and sacrament and strengthen our faith readying us for your service, we pray. Amen.